Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. An Erio's original. And welcome to Web Crawlers, the podcast where we do a deep dive into some of our favorite unsolved mysteries. Each week, we will introduce our topic, lay out our research and findings, reveal some conspiracy theories, and conclude with our own hypothesis. Who knows? We might even solve the case. I am Ali Siegel. I am Melissa Stetton. And I'm producer Maria. Webcrawlers has a Patreon. To get access to rewards, bonus episodes, shout outs, merch discounts, etc., please go to patreon.com slash webcrawlers. You can donate as little as $2 a month to become one of our bimbo patrons. Also, for those of you who do not find it controversial, I was sent, and this was also suggested to me, um... The book Kissing the Coronavirus by <laughs> erotica novelist MJ Edwards. A lot of people have been tweeting that to you specifically. Which says something about myself. <laughs> it does. And then also like a friend literally gifted it to me. Um, <laughs> my friend Blair, who used to run podcast and video at Hello Giggles. Now she uh, produces podcasts for Shudder, the horror streaming service. Ooh. And sh- she was like, this looks right up your alley. And I said, it is. It's about a scientist. She was supposed to cure the coronavirus. But instead, she fell in love with it. Oh, no. It's 16 pages of hardcore pandemic erotica. Wait, that's all it is? It's only 16 that's pages? It? 
Yeah, because I was looking through it last night and I was like, I wonder how long I should like how I should pace this out. And it's just it's just 16 pages. It's just some short story. (laughs) So here's about the author. During the coronavirus pandemic of 2020, MJ Edwards turned her hand to writing, combining the two biggest parts of her life at the moment, the virus and sex. She hopes that you enjoy this book. Any similarities to real life situations are purely coincidental. She lives in Surrey with her husband and 19 ferrets. 19 ferrets. Yes. Way to bury the lead, MJ. I know. You know what the funniest part is? And my friend Patty pointed this out. Was that she's married? (laughs) And I'm not. Wait, what? That MJ Edwards, the author of this pandemic erotica, is married and has 19 (laughs) ferrets, and I'm not? No, no, no. No, the doctor's name that falls in love with the coronavirus. Just read the name. It's so funny. Dr. Gertlichund. No. Dr. Ashington Ford. Ashington Ford? Dr. Alexia Ashington Ford. What's so funny about that? It's like four last names. It's like Ashington Ford Shireville. You don't think that's funny, Allie? Well, I guess maybe it was because I found the other doctor's name, Dr. Gertlia Chund, first. So I was just kind of. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought we had the similar sense of humor, but I guess we we don't. You know, I guess not. Melissa, did you think it was funny? It, it, yes. <laughs> but like, we can all agree that there's been funnier things that have happened. Yes. Like, I wouldn't point that yes. out as being hilarious. It's okay. It's funny. Yes. It's funny it's where fine. I'm like, it's like a H-A-H-A, like, haha. Or like an LOL that you don't really mean. Like lowercase LOL. Yeah, <laughs> How many not... of those have you given to me, Allie? An LOL that you don't really mean. <laughs> I would like to look back. We should actually count the, I don't the types know. of ha-has we send each other. So anyways, I'll be reading that on the Patreon. If you want to uh, join $2 uh, a month, you can hear me do that. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you give us a five-star review, uh, we will shout you out. Honk, honk, boing, 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 la, 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 la from Kelly. Love you, ladies. Obsessed with this show and Discord and the live shows and the Patreon. And just thank you for adding so much joy to my life several times a week. That was really nice. Thank you. Then there's Well from Kayla Pollock. Uh, There are really no words to describe how perfectly this podcast fits into the five-star category. Oh, that's so sweet. It's unbelievable. It's like if Bigfoot and Babe the Pig had a baby, (laughs) and that baby ate some magic mushrooms and made all your dreams come true. (laughs) The accuracy. Next, uh, it's called Laughing Laughing by Ha 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 Ha. These girls really, really, really do a great job. They're efficient. They don't draw a sorry out for 2.5 hours. Oh, uh, I think that probably means story, but she said sorry. Um, But we don't apologize for that long either with unimportant details. I like that I can listen to one episode on my way to work and one on my way home. That's right. I like that we're efficient. None of that nonsense. None of these two hour long podcasts, fucking 30, 45 minutes, you're in and out. No, we get her done. Unless you're doing one on Nexium and it's an hour and 50 minutes. That's important. That's a special edition. That's a special. Also, Erios has a hotline. Find it yourself. It's really been <laughs> popping off and uh, we get a lot of messages. We love playing them. So please keep on calling. Just kidding. Insert jingle here. 626-604-6262. Melissa, who are our patrons? We have Catherine S., Jim L., Rachel W., Megan, Victoria, 
Emma H, Candace M, Jessica M, and Chastity B. Welcome. Welcome, guys. Welcome to the party. Um, so Melissa, what is our episode for today? Oh, and guys, happy October. Yes, Spooktober. Spooktober. Oh, I gotta is think here. of spooky names for all of us. And we have some really good episodes lined up for you guys. For we do. It's, it's a oh, yeah. October Fest that's going to freak you guys out. And let me just confirm something before I say this on the pod. You're pregnant. Congrats. Yes. Um, Asher, Asher finally put out and we're ready. <laughs> that's wonderful. We're, Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, we're going to have a seance. We're going to have a live seance. It's confirmed. We're going to have a live confirmed live seance on the podcast. Uh, Late October, we're going to settle down on a date uh, with John Tenney. We've had him on the podcast before. He's like a witch, super into the supernatural, the paranormal investigations, UFOs, um, an occultist. And he's led seances before on TV and off. And he is going to lead us in a live seance. And we'll be doing it on Zoom and live streaming it on YouTube. is so exciting who are we are we gonna be talking to yeah channeling we're gonna have to decide that but we're also like really have to set up some ground rules so like things i'm concerned about is (laughs) that my grandma always told me not to play with ouija boards and not to have a seance so we're really gonna have to talk to tenny about like keeping ourselves safe well we already well we've already played yeah and we know how that went. I've, I've, yeah, I had to, I, I've been napping ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in a coma for eight months and then Corona happened. Like, how do oh. we know what's our fault and what's not? So. Well, what if we try to bring back someone fun that isn't like we know isn't going to be like vindictive or whatever? Like Richard Nixon. <laughs> no, <laughs> Melissa. Yeah, someone that doesn't have an axe to grind. Brittany Murphy. I would like to know what happened. Also, we just got actually an email about Brittany Murphy because oh, yeah. it, it was in our emails. I was talking about how mold is good for you and you should be, <laughs> everyone should be, <laughs> everyone should be eating mold. And then we got a listener email about how Brittany Murphy died of mold poisoning, I think. Oh, in her home. Yeah. It was yes. In her home. It was like black yes. mold. Yeah. So I mean, mold. different, but also you know, maybe we need to ask her some questions. Should should I? I mean, we're really not getting into the episode so far, but should I look up fun people to to bring back from the dead? Yeah, Jimi Hendrix, I'm sure is going to be one. Janis Joplin, <laughs> George Washington might be a hoot. Adolf um, Hitler, Melissa, um, Maria Braun. See what was really going on behind closed doors. What about Marilyn Monroe? You know, it's only going to be an impersonator. Yeah, that's Elvis. True. Yeah, it's gonna. If you ask for those two, it's gonna just be impersonators. Elisa Lamb. Oh, maybe <gasps> we should do people we've done cases on. Yes, Elisa Lamb might be really good. Albert Einstein. We wouldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> I would. Just so everyone's aware, Allie's mad at me because... Um, <laughs> and I, can I actually tell. don't know what reason you're going to give. Why am I mad at you? Oh, my God. Well, the reason I think it is is because we're recording this on Zoom, but also on our phones. And Allie was like, well, why don't we just record it on Zoom? And I said, well, because like the quality of your face looks really bad right now. But it wasn't because of it wasn't because of the way you looked. It was literally because she had a Brady Bunch background behind her. And so there was like a white fade over her and she looked like she was from like 1980. Oh, yeah. Uh, we 
started this podcast with Melissa straight up. I mean, with Maria straight up telling me I'm ugly. Okay, yeah, this is... Wait, this, here's... <laughs> Saying that. Oh, oh, my God. Here's a good one. Um, <laughs> Bob Ross. Oh, that's fun. Oh, and then he could paint us a picture. Or, oh, my God. You know what we should do? So I should have a canvas and a paints and a paintbrush. And then paint during the... you. Yes. And then during the seance, we channel Bob Ross and then we see if we can get him to come into my body. And then I paint a picture as the ghost of Bob Ross has channeled my body. And then you sell on eBay for like a lot of money. That'd be great. Or or for the podcast. And then maybe we can give the money to charity or something. Or go to Hawaii. (laughs) Or keep it for ourselves. (laughs) but i okay so we'll ask john we'll ask john about that and see if it's something that can happen you know yeah i don't know if i want to be possessed but like being possessed by by bob ross doesn't sound horrible no it doesn't there are worse things okay (laughs) oh my god yeah happy trees um okay so anyways long story short that's coming up uh melissa what's our main story Okay, our main story today, this was suggested by our listener, Kelvin. So thank you for this. So I'm from Michigan, and you'd think that I would have heard of the story that we're talking about today, but I have never heard of it, which is surprising to me. So today we're talking about the still unsolved Oakland County child murders. Oh my God. So in the late 1970s, four innocent children from neighborhoods around Detroit were kidnapped and killed... Two of them were sexually assaulted, and all of them were bathed before being found on the side of highways and in snowbanks. Jesus. The murders are also possibly tied to a pedophile ring on North Fox Island, also in Michigan. Also, we don't really do trigger warnings, but, like, this deals with, like, sexual assault of children. We're not going to get into any of, like, the gory details, but, like, it mentions it, so just be warned. Good. I'm glad we did. Maybe we should do trigger warnings more often. Yeah, just, you know. Like, trigger warning, this episode involves Maria. Exactly. Yeah, trigger warning, uh, Allie's white balance is off. (laughs) Trigger warning, Maria's a bitch today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, no, you could just put that on, like, the podcast description, because that'll be across the board. Just the episode notes. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. For four decades, detectives, victims' families have all tried to learn the truth about the Oakland County child killer case. Search warrant just made public shows the lie detector test that was used to clear the suspect wasn't as accurate as police once thought. Whether a cover-up has kept this case a mystery all these years. Okay, so on February 15th, 1976, a 12-year-old boy named Mark Stebbins was with his mom at her job. She was a bartender. And Mark wanted to go home, and their house was only three blocks away. So his mom let him walk by himself, and it was daylight. He had done this many times before, but he never made it home. So his mom calls 911, and the police start searching door-to-door, and there's no luck. But four days later... His body was found in a snowbank behind a shopping center. He was fully clothed. There were rope burns on his neck, wrists, and ankles. And an autopsy revealed that he was strangled and sodomized. But whoever took him also fed him. And before his body was placed in the snowbank, it had been bathed and dressed. 
So detectives have no leads, and they get a tip from a local parole officer. He says there's a tow truck driver named Archibald Sloan currently Uh. living in Michigan. He was previously arrested for child sexual assault in Pennsylvania, but he recently moved to the area. So the police get a hold of him. They ask him some questions, but they can't really connect him to the crime. But they do, however, take some tape samples from his car to collect fibers or hairs. Like they just went in there with pieces of tape and just like took out some, you know, fuzz and stuff. I have tape. Exactly. But the case went cold and there were no leads or suspects. Oof. And then later that year, on December 22nd, a 12-year-old girl named Jill Robinson was riding her bike home from her mom's house to her dad's house a few miles away, and she never made it there. And her bike was found the next day, but her body wasn't found until four days later on the side of a highway. She was found dead and laying in a snowbank, similar to the first boy. She'd been fed, her body was washed, but she had not been sexually assaulted. Hmm. And not surprisingly, the police did not connect the two murders because there were four different police departments working on the cases. Remember when this happened with like Ted Bundy? This also happened recently. um, They made a doc or a a TV show about it with that. Those several girls who had been raped, uh, but they were all in different counties or cities by the same rapist. So and the police departments weren't working together or sharing information. So they couldn't pin down who the guy was. That was with the Zodiac too. Remember? Yep. Zodiac. Yep. Tale as old as time. 70s are wild. So the police departments that were involved were the town where Mark went missing, the town where he was found, the town where Jill went missing, and the town where she was found. Four different departments not communicating at all. Jesus. I mean, they still do this. The rape the yeah. rape one was was recently. Yeah. So just 10 days after Jill's body was found, a 10-year-old girl in a nearby town named Christine Mahalik walked a few blocks to 7-Eleven, but she never came home. Oof. And her mom calls the police, and they immediately start searching. And then uh, about 19 days later, a mailman sees her body lying in snow. The autopsy revealed she was suffocated, and she was not sexually assaulted. Interesting. And she had been fed and bathed like the other two kids. Okay, so then there's Greg Green and Chris Bush. Finally, the separate police agencies start communicating because they see the similarities. And I'm sure this is because stuff started being reported in newspapers and things. Um, Tons of tips start coming into the tip line. Someone calls about a a man named Greg Green, a pedophile who had been arrested for assaulting a boy in Flint. They also mention his friend, Chris Bush. The police search Chris's house and they find a... Was someone laughing? No. Do you hear laughing? Yeah, I actually literally did this here laughing. Um, <laughs> um, the police search Chris's house and they find a ton of pictures and videos of child porn. He admitted to the cops he was obsessed with young boys. Ugh. He said he and his pal, Greg Green, would go around picking up kids, but he said they didn't kill anyone, as if like that makes it okay. So the <laughs> yeah. cops gave that, yeah. So the cops gave them polygraph tests and they both passed. So based on these tests alone, they're both marked as innocent of the murders. However, it's been made abundantly clear that polygraphs don't work. Yeah, crazy. And they're like admissible in court. Uh, Greg Green, however, was tried for other charges of molestation and was unable to post bail. And he was sentenced to life in prison. 
Chris Bush, however, came from a super rich family. His dad was Harold Lee Bush, a vice president at GM. So he was able to post bail. And somehow, even though he was charged with the same thing as Greg Green, Chris gets off with just a fine and parole. Could this be a possible cover up? Mm -hmm. A week after Chris gets parole and is set free, another child goes missing. On March 16, 1977, 11-year-old Tim King went to the store to buy some candy but was never seen again. The police started searching immediately with no luck. Tim's parents tried to talk to him through the media. They told him to stay strong and they wouldn't give up looking for him. And when he got home, they would give him his favorite food, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Six days, that's so sad. Six days later on March 22nd, police announced they are going to be setting up a checkpoint to search cars to try to find him. But out, like, don't announce a checkpoint, psycho. I know. What are you doing? Yeah, but hours before they started doing that, Tim's body was found. Just like the first victim, Mark, he was sodomized and suffocated. Okay, so obviously this, whoever's doing this, is attracted to boys and not girls. Um, His body was also cleaned. Also in his stomach, they found Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, that's devastating. That's so sad. That is sad. Um, So whoever kidnapped him must have been watching the news. Then there is Chris Bush again. A year and a half later, something interesting happened. In November 1978, Chris Bush was found dead in his home. The police ruled it a suicide, but a lot of people were confused as to how they came to that conclusion. There was a bullet wound between his eyes and a shotgun lying next to him, but he was laying under some blankets. There was no gun residue on his hands, and there was no blood splatter. Okay, so it was not a suicide. They also found ropes in his house similar to the ones used in child murders. And then a mere three weeks after they found Chris dead, the Oakland County Child Killer Task Force is completely disbanded. Okay, I have an idea. They ended the investigation. Did they assume Chris was the killer? They never announced anything or publicly accused him. They cleared him after that lie detector test. Did his rich dad pay off the cops to get quiet? Yeah. Yeah. Also, the suicide is very suspect, but if he was murdered, who murdered him? Is there someone who didn't want him to talk? He was set to be tried for new charges, so perhaps he was about to make a plea deal and spill some beans on other child molesters. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so definitely the police force was somehow in on it in this child pedophilia ring, which I feel like usually ends up being the case somehow. He was being... um, or some dirty cops, I think. Yes. Because weird that they disbanded this whole, like, Oakland County child killer task. They're like, okay, well, it's disbanded. We don't need to look anymore. Yeah. Even though they didn't even charge this guy, Chris. Yeah. So they, if he was going to be brought up on more charges, my guess is that he was going to, yep. he was going to get some sort of plea deal by implicating the bad cops or someone who was in on it. Yep. And the cops, the bad cops came and just shot him in the head. And then ruled it a suicide and then just like cleared their cleared their hands of it, washed their hands of it. That's what I exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that's what my spidey senses say. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Then there's Fox Island. So while all of these murders were happening, another insane thing was happening in Michigan in the late 1970s. So the super rich guy named Francis Sheldon bought a small island off the northwest coast of Michigan called North Fox Island. And I've actually been to Beaver Island, which is very yeah, you close. Have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have been there. It's very close to North Fox Island. It's like northern Michigan, like by Traverse City. There's these like few little islands and Beaver Island. It's so nice. It is so wow. nice up there. It's just, you gotta take a little plane over. Oh, it's great. So North Fox Island is super close to this island. And so this guy, Francis, purchased this island, and he got into contact with his friend named Gerald Richards. And he wanted to talk to him about some specific plans he had for this island. And Gerald was a super creepy guy. He was a gym teacher, a magician, Oof. and photographer. That's a that's a triple threat right there. Yeah, no, thank you. That sounds like a Bumble profile. <laughs> yeah. And he actually learned photography by taking mug shots at the police office where his father worked. And he also worked at a porn shop and he got into shooting his own porns, but not Ew. your everyday porn. It was illegal porn involving children. Oh, God. And Gerald also sexually assaulted his 12 year old neighbor and was convinced they were in love. He was Ew. a disgusting, sick man. He would get young boys to pose for photos and videos. And he would sell them through a secret mailing list of pedophiles. That was like a thing back then. Remember yeah. um, the thing where they were the computer teachers and it was the family? Um, what? And there was a, and it was a documentary. And then one of the guys was a clown. <gasps> oh, capturing the Freedmans? Yes. Yeah. There was they, those, the magazines and like the, the mailing list. Yeah. That could, like, that's what it was. It's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's how they were communicating back in like the 70s. And another way they communicated was through this magazine from the 70s called Better Life. 
And I looked it up. The publishing office is listed as 256 South Robertson, Beverly Hills. And it was, yeah, it was advertised as a monthly paper serving the interests of pedophiles worldwide. Oh, God. It featured legal advice, media reviews, photos, and poetry relating to the subject of boy love. Oh, God. It also contained ads which put you in touch with other pedophiles. They believed it was okay for older men to abuse younger boys if they were in love with them. That's like what Keith Rainier or whatever would say. He was like, well, in ancient Rome, like this was fine. We've been socialized to think it's not okay. It's creepy. So Gerald put an ad in the magazine looking for a business partner for his porn business. And he got a response from Frank Sheldon, the guy who just recently bought that island. And that's how they met. Boy. So then... Frank and Gerald came up with the idea of opening a boys' nature camp for troubled boys. Oh, no. Yep. And so Frank was well-known in Ann Arbor, Michigan, for working with the Big Brother program and the YMCA. Oh, bad news, bad news, bad news. Yeah, he was praised by the community for his reform work. (laughs) They even received government subsidies and grants for their work. But what the government was really funding was a child sex ring. Parents would drop their kids off at the beach near Traverse City. This is where I went. And they would take a private plane to Fox Island. This is like true. This is true. This is all true. This is why like crazy QAnon people and Maria like have (laughs) the like have these like substantiated claims where they're like the government like rapes our children because Because, there have there are instances of it happening for sure yeah man it's a weird underworld we don't know maria's like of the three of us maria's the closest to going over the edge on QAnon. (laughs) (laughs) i don't disagree melissa maria stopped eating pizza after pizza gate oh no No, oh my god that would never happen ever (laughs) i wouldn't go that far Uh, so yeah, so it wasn't just Frank and Gerald bringing boys over. There were multiple men bringing tons of young boys to the island, including prominent men like doctors, politicians, and executives. Mm. And not surprisingly, there was no camp or school or activities. The boys just hung out at the beach until it was picture time where they were forced to pose for pictures or be sexually assaulted on film. Oh God. And so this went on for a while until Gerald was arrested. So an eight-year-old victim had to go to the hospital because he was so badly injured, and he told the police that Gerald and Frank had done that to him. Ooh. And then another victim came forward as well. And so the police started to under- uncover a massive pedophile ring. And Frank moved out of his Ann Arbor home, and he fled the country. And the other men fled as well. And Gerald was the only one who was eventually arrested in 1976. And in August... The prosecutor wanted waited to arrest Frank until the investigation was complete. So, but then another month passed and Frank still wasn't arrested. And so the process, the prosecution office was making up excuses. They're like, we need more evidence to get Frank. We need more of this. We need more of that. And then in October, someone follows up to see what the hell is going on with the arrest. And they're told that the warrant and the arrest and the case had been closed and needed to be reopened. So, like, were the prosecutors or the police being paid off? Are they in on it? Because they arrested Gerald, but Frank, like, fled the country, and they're like, oh, we need to figure out, we need more evidence to arrest him. It's like, you have all this evidence. Why yeah. are you not arresting this guy? Oh, God. And so by the time they got the warrant, Frank was long gone, and so was all the evidence, including this huge list of all the men who went to the island. Oof. And so the investigators found out the island was also connected to other camps for troubled boys across the country. 
Oh, Jesus. And so the police did track down men who were sponsors of the program. Oh, they God. were university employees, social service employees, even a principal of an elementary school. They all Oof. claimed they didn't really know what they were donating to. But according to Gerald, if you made charitable donations, you had full access to the island and the children. Mm. And Gerald was out of prison in less than 10 years. Frank was never found, but they think he's living somewhere in the Netherlands. And he was never brought back oh, God. From, for prosecution. And the other men involved were never located. And so this story just went away. Like, it wasn't covered by large publications, only just, like, local newspapers. So perhaps, like, some people didn't want this story to get out. Yeah, maybe that kind of panic. Yeah. Um, so here's how Fox Island gets connected to these murders. Nothing really happened in the murder cases for decades until a prosecutor was reading files on a unrelated case, came across an interview with a guy named Richard Lawson, who had said, quote unquote, I know who did the Michigan snow killings. So the prosecutor talks to this guy, Richard, and Richard says he used to prey on young boys in Detroit with a guy named Bob Moore. They would bring the kids to parties and film them and take photos Bob would sell his photos to a guy named Frank Sheldon. Uh -huh. Richard also says he had the name of another guy, Ted Orr, whose real name was Theodore Lamborghini. Ted brought over a book of photos, and one of the kids looked a lot like Tim, a kid who went missing. The police get in touch with Ted, otherwise known as Theodore, Theodore Lamborghini. <laughs> He admits to being a pedophile and is facing charges for that, but says he has nothing to do with the murders and agrees to take a lie detector test. He fails. The detectives interview some of Ted's victims to ask what he would do to them. They said that uh, they would give them drugs and alcohol and molest them and then make them take a bath. When they asked Ted about this, his only response is, God has forgiven me. No, he has no, not. No, he hasn't. I, I talked to God and God said he did not forgive you. So the police <laughs> offer him. <laughs> so the police uh, offer him a plea deal if he gives up more names. He refuses and then admits to all 17 counts of molestation he's currently facing. It's weird that like that's his moral line. He's like, uh, I'm not a rat but I'll molest a kid if I see one. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just stupid. Um, Tim's family starts investigating on their own. The police aren't helping him, and the case is basically closed. That I feel like this is always what has to happen. Yes. Is like the family has to open their own investigation. Yeah, always. Um, they found out that a family friend used to be a polygraph administrator, and he was approached by another polygraph administrator and said that during a polygraph, a man had confessed to the Oakland Child County murders. He wouldn't say his name because legally he couldn't. The only thing he said is that the guy is now dead. Interesting. Interesting. Was he referring to the suicide guy? Uh, perhaps. Perhaps. Okay, so the de so the detective starts sorting <laughs> through, so the detective starts sorting through all the polygraphs that took place in 1977, and he finds one that fits the bill. The person is Chris, Chris Bush, Bush, suicide guy. <laughs> but remember, he had been cleared decades ago based only off his polygraph, no other evidence, which is crazy. Yes. So the detective takes the polygraph test and gives it to another examiner and asks what he thinks. He says he has no idea how the conclusion was drawn that he's innocent because the results show that Chris Bush lied about nearly everything. Oh. So 
Was the original polygraph examiner bad at their job or was it a cover up? Well, he came from the rich family. Yes. I mean, and uh-huh. you can you can get away. You can get away with murder. You can. Um, literally. Tim King's family is furious because a week after this guy was cleared, their son was killed. So the King right. family decides to take the story to the media. And it's kind of a big story for the day. But only local papers pick it up, and then again, it just dies. Yeah, crazy. So then nothing happens in this case until 2009. Jesus. And the one detective still working on the case went back to the physical evidence they gathered in 1977. And it was 2009, so technology was way more advanced. So he tested a piece of hair that was found on the third victim's body. The DNA Mm. results came back. And the results did not match Chris Bush. Oh. The DNA matched a guy named James Gunnels. Ooh. So his DNA was in the system for crimes that he committed as an adult. But as a child, he was a victim of Chris Bush and Greg Green. Oh, shit. And he was still associated with them when he got older. So they want to question this James guy. And he's currently in prison. And they ask him if he knows anything. He says he wasn't involved in the murders. But he was in Chris Bush's car a lot. Mm. So they gave him a polygraph and he fails. But since it's 2009, they can't just convict people on polygraphs anymore because they realized how unreliable they are. So they look for more evidence. And so they found a DNA match. So they find more oh. hairs on Tim and Mark's bodies, the victims. And the hairs match the same person. But it's no one who's in the police system. But the hairs did match another sample that they had. So remember earlier when the police got their first tip from a parole officer who said Archibald Sloan was the pedo from Pennsylvania. He lived in Michigan. And they questioned him and they took fiber samples from his car with the pieces of tape. Yeah. Well, they compared a few of the hairs found on those samples with the hairs found on Tim and Mark's bodies. And they all matched. Oh, shit. So the police thought they had the guy. It was the first guy they questioned, but they didn't arrest him. So they needed a hair sample directly from this Archibald Sloan guy. So they got one, but it didn't match the samples found on the bodies or in the car. But he has to play some kind of role in this. So whose hair is it? Why is the hair in Archibald's car? So the police find Archibald in prison. He's serving a life sentence for the rape of a co-worker's child. Holy shit. And they interview him for three hours. He wouldn't talk. So they have these hair samples that match, but they don't know whose hair it is. They have these samples from Archibald's car, and they're like, they don't know who the hell, whose hair is this is. So they plan to keep pressuring Archibald, but then the prosecutor fucks up everything. This bitch was running for a re-election, and then out of nowhere, oh, no. she decided to tell the public about the hairs not matching Archibald. So this ruins any leverage that the police thought they had with Archibald. So now he knows. He's like, oh, the hairs don't match me. Well, I'm not going to say anything. So they go back and they offer him immunity if he gives them anyone. And they will place him in any federal prison that he wants. But he wouldn't say anything. So who was he protecting? He's like Fox Island prison. Yeah. (laughs) So he did give the investigators a piece of information that was interesting. He said the car where they got all these samples from, he sold that car the same day they collected the samples. He sold it to the state police lieutenant's son. Shut the front door. I know these cops are dirty. Uh Uh-huh. So the detective looks into this lieutenant's son. 
He asked the investigator what his name was and which lieutenant he was the son of, but the investigator says, oh, uh, I can't remember. So nothing else was found out about the lieutenant and his son. So they don't oh, know fuck. what lieutenant, which son. So like, is this a massive cover up? Yeah. So you have Frank and Gerald running this like camp. Chris Bush and Greg Green, who are suspects. Greg got life in prison and died. Chris Bush killed himself. And then Bob Moore, who hung out with Ted and he used to wash kids after he assaulted them. Bob Moore was also selling Fox Island Frank pictures and videos. And Frank was able to get away because of a warrant for his arrest that was delayed. So, like, is a politician protecting them? Is it someone in the police office? They're, like, all in it together, man. It's like a ring. Yeah. They're all they're all into it. They're all involved. The dirty cops are in it, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know who specifically is doing the killing, but, it, I mean, maybe it's, like, some lynch man for the, for the cops or, you know, some dirty cop is doing the killing or... or Whatever that police lieutenant's son... Yeah, or like something like that. But like, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And so in a documentary about this case, someone did call in a tip after Mm. the girl Christine Mihalik went missing. They said they saw her getting into an unmarked car with a man with a badge. Yep, 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 yep. But the person who called in the tip was a teenager, so they didn't take him seriously. But this kid also told his teacher. And so the police (sighs) came to question this kid at school He said they harassed him and told him not to ever talk about this ever again, smashed his head into the desk, and they threatened to kill his parents. Yep, dirty cops. So a person with a badge? Like, could it have been the lieutenant's son? Because it would make it easy to lure kids into a car without without a scene if you had a badge. Like, if guy was like, excuse me, young lady, come here. Like, a 12-year-old girl would be like, okay, I'm sorry, and, like, lure her into the cop car without, like, making any huge scene or anything. For sure. So, Frank was never held accountable for his crimes, and he actually died in 1996 in the Netherlands at age 68. And he would never got arrested. Oh, so they did jail. find him. They found him. They they knew they ended up finding him in the Netherlands. They knew yeah, but there. they they didn't arrest him. They they had no. They couldn't convict him. They had no case for like him. Extradition or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. That too. Um, okay. So some theories, and I think we pretty much already went over them. But that Chris was definitely killed as a liability, and then that was believed to be a suicide yeah um that he was part of this bigger like pedophile circle that probably involved all of these people yeah um so officer richard james mcnamee was the first officer um on the scene to christopher bush's suicide and he discovered the body and it turns out that mcnamee was a pedophile and would later be convicted of molesting children yeah the first cop that showed up to chris bush's suicide who was like, oh, this was a suicide, eventually was arrested for molesting kids. Crazy. Um, so he, he could have been covering, he could have shot Chris Bush because he was going to out him. For sure. I mean, I mean, that seems like a really logical theory. Yeah. Um, and then Ted Orr, the guy who washed his victims. But is that a common thing with pedophiles? Like washing the evidence off, it seems... I'm not Googling it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then um, there's connections to the Franklin child prostitution ring. Remember that episode we did? I don't remember any episodes. That missing boy. (laughs) That was (laughs) that missing boy. And who's uh, we had a listener email in because her like great great grandfather was the guy (gasps) investigating. 
That's and he right. was like a good guy. He would go to yeah, these Yeah, I had said, I was like, I was like, that guy maybe seems shady. And then she wrote back being like, he's a hero. And then we cleared his name. Yeah. So it was yes. around the same time as like the 70s. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I think these undercover. It's actually interesting. Have you watched Nurse um, Ratchet, uh, the new no. um, series on Netflix? It's not great by Ryan Murphy. But one of the plot lines of this series is that Nurse. Mm, spoiler alert. <laughs> so if you are listening and you don't want to be spoiled um, on this, then fast forward maybe like a minute because who knows lo- how long i'm gonna go but just to be safe starting now okay so nurse ratchet um grew up in the foster care system with her brother she and her brother ended up going to this really wealthy family they got like quote-unquote like not adopted but put in foster care with this right. really rich family and it turns out that the reason her family the family was so rich and the reason that they kept taking foster children was because they were a part of a pedophile ring and they would send out these like advertisements or run these um uh like newsletters for pedophiles that were um modeled as something else so they would say like basement puppet show like 10 p.m. tonight Ew. like male puppet and female puppet um putting on a like house scene tonight like ten dollars a ticket and that would be like and it would be in weird you know jargon that other pedophiles would understand or weird weird clues and then like and the the the, like how they wrote it in the script was that like miss nurse ratchet and her brother had to do like weird pedophile stuff to each other but yeah it was like i think it was something that was i don't want to say common in this era but something that was prevalent during this time that there were these like weird undercover pedophile rings and this is a way that some people were making money easier to get away with yeah for sure so anyways yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if these things were maybe like interrelated or i don't know um okay well uh that's our episode for today <laughs> let us know if you have any theories um or anything like this it's pretty crazy stuff um join our patreon and get ready for a spooky spooktober full of seances ghost stories hauntings uh poltergeists um and more i am ali spooktacular <laughs> seagull I am Melissa Stettin. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, good. that's good. And I'm Maria Boo Blasucci. Oh, I had one once that was good, and now I just like. I'm Allie Siegel. That's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, okay. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Original. Powered by ACAST. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.